Hey, this is Pastor Greg Evans from Calvary Assembly of God. I want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I pray that God will speak to your heart, that he will challenge you, and that you will be encouraged and that you will overcome by God's word and the word of your testimony. God bless you. Enjoy the service. Amen. Well, I feel the presence of Jesus. I thank God for his power, and I thank God for the man of God that he has sent today to preach the word of the living God to this house. God moved so richly last week in this service. He, he touched hearts. There's a, there's a sense of revival and renewal taking place at Calvary. And I don't believe it's by accident that the calendar aligned for uh, our guests to be here with us today. I think it is God's provision to send this brother, this man of God, this servant of the Lord, to speak a rhema word to this house today. You're going to be blessed. We're honored today to have Brother Alton Garrison with us. Alton Garrison is one of the, uh, he is the former uh, assistant superintendent, general superintendent of the Assemblies of God. And what a blessing it is to have him. He currently leads the Acts 2 cohort uh, journey and uh, helps churches in revitalization and uh, ministry, just renewing and revamping ministry. And we're so thankful for that. And he pastored for many years. He, he served as evangelist and he pastored for many years in Little Rock, Arkansas, the uh, great church there, First Assembly. And today it is my great honor to not only have him with us, but for him to be able to speak into the hearts and lives of our team. He's been ministering to the team here, and we're so grateful for you being here with us this weekend and today. Would you honor him, and would you welcome him to the platform today as he comes to preach the Word of God? Amen. Praise the Lord. No, I don't need to stand. People don't always remember what you say. But they will always remember how you made them feel. <laughs> you ever been to a restaurant before you took the first bite? You knew whether you liked that restaurant or not. Have you ever done that? I, I, maybe I'm too judgmental. <laughs> I just like what I feel here this morning. You say, well, you're not supposed to go by feeling. You're supposed to go by faith. I said, I get that. But sometimes I just can't help but feel it. <laughs> I mean, the friendliness. I came through the front out there. Everybody's talking to you. And, hey, so I just, it just feels good. Then the presence of the Lord comes <laughs> and takes you to another level. Amen. So it's a joy to be with you here today. And it's a joy to be with God's people in the family of God. We've had a wonderful weekend. Um, your church, Calvary, hosted the Acts 2 Journey cohort here Friday and Saturday. They did a fantastic job. And they're involved in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, what I call a next step, a next level potential. And you're going to hear so many exciting things in the next few weeks and months. I'm really excited about the future. You are going to be blessed to be a blessing. And I can sense that already you are dedicated to serving. Some people sit and soak. And when you are hurting and you need help and healing, setting and soaking is very, very special. But after a while, when you get a little victory in your soul, Jesus will start moving you out to serve. Because that's what the body of Christ is all about. 
And so I'm excited about Calvary, what God's going to do. And I've just learned to, I haven't met them that many times, but your pastors are very special people. And I just want you to know that they are loved by a lot of people, not just you. And so lift them up and give God the glory. Amen. And uh, it's a joy to be here with you. Lyman Coleman says one of the first steps in relationship building is to be involved in what he called history giving. History giving. So my story is my dad was a high school dropout. His mom was a believer, but he was not. His dad was not. He started working in the oil fields of southeast Texas. Began to drink and became a, what he called a, a rousing center. <laughs> became more and more addicted. Then he became more and more dysfunctional. He didn't get married to mom until he was 30. She was actually 12 years younger. That's a whole other story. He led her into a decadent lifestyle. They never had any children, and for seven years, well, the doctor said they probably never would have children. So for seven years of their marriage, they didn't have children. So I was somewhat of a shock to their system when I was announced. They had no anticipation of that. And my dad thought, I can't be a father, an effective dad in my condition. So he started trying to quit his alcohol consumption. And he tried all kinds of steps to sobriety and failed at every one of them. Every promise he ever made, he broke. Every attempt he ever made, he failed. And... Uh, Six months before I was born, there was a, uh, they'd been to a party, they'd been to a 4th of July, they'd been, he'd been drinking, and driving along on a country road, he thought he was having a heart attack, thought he was going to die, and his thought was, I'm going to die, and I'm not going to see the child that I've anticipated so much. And in that moment, he turned to God. He wasn't at an altar, he wasn't at a church, he was in a car, mom was sitting beside him, she had no knowledge that he was feeling like he... Every breath would be his last. He slowed the car down thinking if I get it going slow enough, if I slump over the wheel, there'd be no impact. My wife won't be hurt. The baby won't be hurt. That was all he was thinking. And under his breath, without her knowledge, he said, please, God, I don't know how to pray. But mama used to pray. And if you heard her prayer, maybe you'll hear mine. Spare my life. To see that child. In other words, heal me. And then he prayed the most unconventional conversion prayer I've ever heard of. He said, God, if I ever take another drop of liquor as long as I live, I want you to poison me and let me drop dead. <laughs> now, nobody negotiates with an addict. <laughs> They'll tell you anything to get what they want, right? <laughs> Aren't you glad that God can look past all of your faults and all of your past failures and all of the stuff in your life and he can bless you even when you don't deserve a blessing? And in one split second, somehow, in one split second, Jesus reached down and healed his body, saved him, Delivered him from alcohol, and he never took another drink as long as he lived. <laughs> In one second, 
In one second, he went from sot to saint. <laughs> Started going to church. Mom got saved. And just a few months later, now I won't take time to tell this story. It's almost unbelievable anyhow. <laughs> but a few months later, they appointed him pastor of a church before he had ever preached his first sermon. <laughs> now, he's a high school dropout. He'd never been to Bible college. He'd never been to seminary. He had no experience. But, and, and I understand the importance of all of that. And, and, I, and one of the things I've noticed about your pastor, I, I can sense by just being around him and talking to him, he is a lifelong learner. <laughs> And I like to be a lifelong learner. In fact, I'm kind of like the guy with, that sits in front of the TV with a remote control in his hand. I don't want to know what's on TV. I want to know what else is on TV. <laughs> but here's my father with no experience. And then there was a little church. I mean, it was this little town called Sour Lake, Texas. And it was a small little church, only seat about 80. And I, I, he didn't have an office. He didn't have a secretary. I mean, we didn't even have a foyer in our church. You were the in or out of our little church. <laughs> but sometimes God makes exceptions. Aren't you glad? And he takes the unqualified and he qualifies them. Now, there's a lot to be said for education, and I'm, I'm all for that. But I can tell you, God took a total unqualified former alcoholic with no training and God put him right now it wasn't a big church but mom and dad stayed there 22 years dad's been in heaven a long time mom lived to be 96 years old and about four years ago I got to go back to that little church I hadn't been there in years brother Went back to that little church to have mom's celebration of life. And when I walked in, they had spruced it up a little bit. And it was nice looking and painted and all this stuff. But still, no foyer. You just step in. <laughs> and all the memories came back. I looked at that altar down at the front. And I saw where I gave my life to Christ at the age of six years old. <laughs> Then I looked over in the corner, and there was a, a little piano there, a little spinet piano. And it looked just like the one I played when I was a boy. They, they assured me it wasn't. But it sure looked like it to me, you know. And then I remembered, you know, I was about eight or nine years old, and Dad came to me, and he said, Son, you're our new pianist? I said, I'm only eight. He said, we don't have anybody else. <laughs> I said, but I'm only eight. <laughs> he said, there is no one else. You've been taking lessons, haven't you? I said, yeah, I've taken a couple. He said, well, you're it. <laughs> See, God takes the unqualified sometimes and qualifies them. I said, but you don't understand. I did take a couple lessons. He said, well, the lady's been teaching you as the church pianist. Her husband's transferred out of town. They got to leave. She's got to go. And I said, yeah, but dad, what you don't know is she only has taught me one song. He said, you don't worry. We'll sing that one every week. <laughs> then he said, you sit there on that piano bench. After you played the songs, you know, 
and you start praying that God would teach you how to play those other songs while we sing them a cappella. <laughs> you know what a cappella means. That's a Latin word that means we don't have a piano player. <laughs> I, I think that's what that really means. That's my... But that's how I started in the ministry of music. So I don't know if I'm right in this generalization, but I think I am because I see it and hear it a lot. This generation is struggling, and so many are wondering, do I matter? When I get up every day, does my life count? Am I going to do anything meaningful today? And it doesn't feel like that people are getting the right answer. They don't have any respect for life. They have no respect for God. They don't have respect for patriotism. They don't have respect for a lot of things. It's the, the satanic attack, I believe, that tries to make people feel. And I, I'm just happy that there's a place here at Calvary for you. <laughs> that you can get not only filled up, but you can... Freely receive, freely give, and get engaged. And so if you're here today and Satan's been doing what he does, the thief comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. He's tried to get you sidetracked, maybe, hopefully, with faith. I believe that today God can qualify the unqualified to do what they cannot do that he wants them to do. And everybody has a next level potential. <laughs> I said everybody has a next level potential. Well, I've been talking about playing and talking about next level. Is it all right if I play one just to demonstrate that I've learned more than that one song? <laughs> it's not going to stay there. <laughs>
<laughs> His truth is marching on. Amen. The end of my father's ministry and life was not nearly as miraculous as the beginning. He pastored 22 years there and went to another church for 10. But in that tenure, the last part of it, he contracted a disease that is diabolical. And at this point, there's no known cure. Our journey with Alzheimer's, that dementia that destroys the brain lasted about eight years. It starts out so innocuously, but it ends up with total mental incapacitation. And we were at that point where doctors said he couldn't last much longer, and I was called to the hospital. And I was walking into the hospital room where he was, and the doctor was coming out, and Dr. Redford said, Reverend, you already know this, but your father has no cognitive ability left. His other upper brain function is gone. His lower brain function is gone. I knew that. He said, he will not know you're present. In fact, he said he hasn't made a sound in about four months. So it's physically and medically impossible for him to even utter a sound, much less speak. Well, that... For more than that, maybe almost two years, he had not been able to carry on an intelligent conversation because of the, the deterioration of his brain. But he said, it's not your father I'm concerned about. He said, we're going to keep him comfortable till he passes. He said, it's your mother that I'm worried about. She's been the caregiver for all of these years, and she is emotionally and physically depleted. And you're going to have to do something. I'd read quite a bit about the disease, as you can imagine, when you have a loved one that has been involved in that as long as we had. And I'd read an article that said that Alzheimer's is a disease that kills two people, the person with the disease and the person caring for the person, the caregiver. And so he stepped out and left, and I walked in and stood at the foot of my dad's bed. He was lying so frail, 87 pounds draped on a six-foot frame, kind of in a fetal position, his eyes kind of milky, glassy looking, but not seeing. And the adversary, I don't know what you believe about all this, sir, but he spoke to me, Satan. Now, it wasn't an audible voice. I, I, I'm not saying that. But I think that some of you will understand that that communication does occur. It wasn't my thought. It wasn't God's thought. It was the adversary who comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And he said and communicated with me, how do you preach faith when your father's lying here in this condition? How do you tell people that God is a good God? That he loves them, that he cares for them, that he'll bless them, that he'll heal them. That he'll... Look at your father, look at the, all of the sacrifices he and your mom have made. Look at their life. They pastored small churches. They had very little money, no pension, a little social security maybe, but I mean just barely existing. He said, look how God's treating your dad after all of the sacrifices he's made. Wow. 
don't know if you've ever even had an experience close to that, but I can tell you that at some point in your life, some point in your life, you'll have some kind, I think, it's almost universal, some kind of, if God really loved me, why did he let that happen? I think about the unfairness. Think about a baby being taken from a parent. Think about the stuff that's happening that's out of our control. Think about what's happening in the world today. What's happening in Ukraine today. People are just being brutally killed and executed. Think about Afghan. I mean, the news just, just, it's permeating our whole atmosphere with this injustice and this, this pain. And I mean, it, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's like Satan is, is trying to get everybody to turn against the source. Satan's business is to try to drive a wedge between you and Father God. Getting you to blame God for the problems that hit the sin that he introduced way back in the Garden of Eden have caused. I mean, I don't have time to go back theologically through all of that. But those of you that have been a part of church life and you've been to Sunday school, you understand what I'm talking about. If God is all powerful, why did this happen? That's the question. Well, I didn't know what to do exactly. I mean, there's nobody to talk to. Mom wasn't there. My sis wasn't there. Found out later they were in the cafeteria having lunch, and it was just Pop and me. And I just started quoting scripture. <laughs> I'd quote a scripture, and I'd feel better, and then I'd look at him and see a dose of reality, and I'd feel worse. And then I'd quote another scripture, and I, I, I don't know. It felt kind of like an emotional roller coaster up and down. I, 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 has anybody experienced anything like that? <laughs> You say, well, you're a preacher. You're not supposed to have those kind of problems. We're about half human too. <laughs> I finally got over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, where it says we have a tabernacle not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens. And, and I said, devil, I just spoke out loud. I'm sorry. But I, I said, devil, you are, you're, you're not going to win. My dad may be going to heaven very shortly. But if his eyes close in death in the next three seconds, he's not going to die. He's just going to step from one plane of reality to another plane of reality. And when he wakes up, he's going to be in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Come on, saints. That's what it means to be a believer. You're going to be eternally with God in the glory. Hallelujah. I felt so good and got my victory. And I stepped outside in the hall and mom was standing out there with my sis and brother-in-law. She said, son, what have you been doing? I said, I've been in there praying with Pop. She said, why? It won't do any good. I said, what do you mean? Well, she said, when you need God the most, he'll turn his back on you. I mean, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. She said, son, we've been praying for your dad for all these years. Thousands of people have been praying. And instead of getting better, he's getting worse. And now, I can't communicate with him. He's not only my husband, he's my pastor. I need him to tell me everything's going to be all right. I need him to encourage me. I need him to minister to me. And I haven't had that privilege for 
a couple of years now. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I mean, you don't know Elise Garrison, so maybe you have a different reaction to those statements coming from her lips than I did. But I'm not talking about some neophyte in the faith. I'm not talking about an unbeliever. I'm talking about a godly, faith-filled spouse of a pastor who walked lockstep with her husband through every sacrificial valley, through every problem, through every mountain. And now to hear her say words like that, it felt like blasphemy coming out of her lips. I mean, she was our... She was introverted, yeah, I, I get that. And she wasn't very outgoing, but she was a prayer warrior. You wanted answers to prayer, you got mama to pray. Now she's saying stuff that is scaring me. Then she did something I could have never anticipated. She literally pointed her finger in my face and shook it, and she said, Son, don't you ever pray in my presence again. I didn't know what to say. I just turned and walked away, got my car, and I was driving across the freeway system there in Dallas, Texas. I was, I was crying. I, was, I wouldn't call it a prayer. I was venting. I said, God, my mother's lost her faith. That didn't take a lot of extrapolation for me to figure out if you lose your faith, that's a bad deal. I mean, look at Scripture. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin, the Bible says, the book of Romans. Because Ezekiel said, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. So it didn't take long for me to go from here to there and say, Well, Mom has lost her faith. And, and man, I, uh, that's scary. I said, God, if Dad goes... If he dies, he's going to heaven. We don't have a problem. But mom, and I'm not her judge, and, and I, 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 I'm not saying that I was. And I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have known whether she'd go to heaven or hell. But in my mind right there, I was just thinking, she can't make it. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. And I, I just blurted out, I said, God, you got yourself a big problem. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? See, I thought she lost her faith. I, I, I think in t retrospect, if we look back on it, I think she thought she lost her faith. But you know, I believe the Holy Spirit taught us something. And we've come to the conclusion it's kind of become a life lesson for the Garrison family. And I have spoken it unapologetically over and over and around the world. And I want to pass it on to you today. I don't think it was her faith she lost think it was her hope her hope you said but I don't understand the difference faith hope love three inextricable attitudes and characteristics from the apostles pen and they're very closely aligned but they're distinctly different I've heard a lot of sermons on faith and I've heard a lot of sermons on love I've not heard very many sermons on hope in fact in the business world hope is kind of a pejorative term You'll hear him say, hope's not a strategy. You say, what's the difference? The Bible says when you get saved, you're given a measure of faith. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 verse 17 that you can grow your faith. Faith cometh by 
hearing and hearing the word of God. So the way I get that, there was an event and then there's a process. <laughs> and that initial faith infusion is followed by this process that is kind of like an educational process. The more of the Bible you read, the more of it you study, the more you get inside of you, the more faith you have. It's, it's kind of like a, an educational process. So if faith is educational, the attainment of faith is educational, hope is more emotional. If faith is related to miracles... Hope is related to morale. You get that? If faith has its foundation in God's word, hope is more of a mental attitude. In fact, by definition, hope is a confident, happy anticipation of something good that's going to happen. That's hope. My mother's hope tank was on empty. Hopeful people are looking forward, believing that something good's coming. But hopelessness, the Bible says, well, Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. I know this doesn't sound very theological and maybe not even very educational or intelligent, but... Uh, I think Satan is a hope sucker. <laughs> That's his business, trying to suck the hope right out. I mean, he's doing it to nations. He's doing it to states. He's doing it to countries. He's doing it. I mean, you think about the hopelessness that is permeating our whole population around the world. People are just hopeless. They don't know if anything's going to happen. You hear them talking about our kids are going to not have this and, and that we're ruining the world for our kids and this is going to be. And I mean, they have no hope. If faith is a dynamite that explodes night into day and defeat into victory, if faith is a dynamite, hope is the fuse. Without the fuse, the dynamite won't explode. <laughs> Come on. In fact, I'm just going to be so bold to venture this. Satan would love... To attack our hope more sometimes than our faith. Why? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Satan can manipulate a circumstance, but he cannot alter God's word. Now think about that. So, so when you understand this process, my mother's hope tank was on Empty. Her needle was on empty. How did she get that way? How did she get? I mean, I don't think you could have ever asked her before she got to that point that she would ever be at that point. She could have never anticipated pointing her finger in my face and say, don't ever pray in my presence again. How did she get that way? Well, let's look at a, before I wrap this up, a underpinning, a scriptural underpinning. Now, there's a story that starts in Genesis chapter 12. And I, I've just spent most of the summer looking at those earlier scriptures. And I took special note of the process when a guy named Abram was 75 years old. 
God gave him a promise. He's going to have a promised son. And his name Abram meant exalted father. But he had no sons when he got that name. And God says, I'm going to give you so many descendants that he actually took him out and gave him a little uh, visualization, let him count the sand on the shore, said if you could do that or you could count the stars in the sky, that kind of give you an indication of how many descendants, you know, ultimately, and I'm not there yet, but one day, about 25 years later, he changed his name to the father of many. So that's the story, and it's about the birth of the Hebrew nation. It's a big deal in the Bible, and I don't have time to take you through all of that. But if you go to Romans chapter 4, and that's where I want you to go right now, and you'll see the scripture pop up. Romans chapter 4, we're going to look at just a little snippet of an overview that is told in its entirety, starting with Genesis chapter 12. Now, here's the thing I want you to say. How do you lose your hope? How do you lose your faith? One thing I can tell you is that you lose it by reacting incorrectly to what you see. You do it by reacting incorrectly to what you see. Now, let me explain. Here's a guy that's now 100 years old. And his wife is 90. From a reproductive point of view, they're dead. <laughs> no hope. Come on. <laughs> and it's been 25 years since the promise was given. They could have said, well, it's not going to happen. But look at verse 19. I'm not talking about denial. Somebody says, well, if you really want to be happy and hope-filled and faith-filled, you just got to speak positive and never speak negative and don't confess anything and, 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 and you got to deny. Well, that's not what happened. Look at verse 19. Verse 19, chapter 4. He did not weaken in faith. He did not weaken in faith. When he considered his own body. So he didn't deny how old he was. Which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Now watch this. Look at verse 18. In hope he believed against hope. That he should become the father of many nations. In hope, against hope, he still had hope, even though the condition was not favorable and the view was not favorable. How did he do that? How did he keep hope in the midst of that kind of impossibility? Verse 17, that's the answer. As it is written, a reiteration of the promise, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed who gives life to the dead. 
and cause those things into existence, the things that do not presently exist. Hallelujah. Can I tell you that it may look hopeless in your situation? You may look at your finances and it seems hopeless. You may look at your health and it seems hopeless. You may look at your relationships and they seem broken. You may look at your kids and they not react in the right way or your grandkids and they're going a different route than what you think they ought to go. When all of these things are like that, can I tell you my God is the creator of all life. He is the Jehovah Jireh. He is the provider of everything you need. And when you run out of your resources, you're going to run into his. Hallelujah. Now you think about it, reacting to what you see. When Moses sent 12 spies out, 10 came back and said the cities are too walled. Remember that? They were at Kadesh Barnea. They've been an Egyptian's bondage for over 400 years. They're now headed for the promised land. He said, go check it out. They came back after 40 days. They said, the, the terrain is too rough and the, the, the walls are too big and, and the giants are so big. They look like giants and we look like grasshoppers. And then they said something that was really telling. Not only did they think the giants thought they looked like grasshoppers, they said, we look like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Now, you know that's not true. I mean, that's what they said. But they, they misread it. I don't have time to unpack it all. But if you go all the way over to the book of Joshua, and when Joshua got back at Kadesh Barnea, the second time, he sent two spies over. They ran into a, a prostitute by the name of Rahab. And what did Rahab say? Rahab says people here are so frightened they are paralyzed because they were afraid of the Israelites so here's a group of people that thought they lay looked like grasshoppers in their own eyes and the people over there that they're trying to conquer think they look like giants in their eyes so I'm telling you, you may be looking at a situation today and it's looking gargantuan it's looking like a giant but my God says just if you want to give the devil a message today write it on the bottom of your shoe for he said I mean, that's what Romans says. God of peace shall bruise Satan under your foot. I got to hurry. What's the second thing that caused you to lose hope? This is not quite as biblical, but it's very practical. Impatience. This generation is wired tight. You don't think so? You let that light turn green and you don't move fast enough, they're honking four cars back. <laughs> I mean, it had been 25 years since the promise and there's no promised son. Come on. We can't wait 25 weeks, 25 hours. Some of us can't wait 25 minutes. Well, no, I'm not really impatient. When's the last time you stood in front of your microwave oven tapping your foot because it wasn't working fast enough? <laughs> How many times you popped the toast out of the toaster before it's really brown? <laughs> huh? <laughs> yeah. Come on. Confess. Fess up. We're all a little impatient. You go to Walmart, that express lane, 20 items or less, and you're counting that dude's items in front of you. 
21, 22, 23. You'll lose your anointing for four days over three extra can of beans. <laughs> I'll get off of that. You lose hope. You lose hope. You lose hope. When you react only to what you see. When you get impatient or when you think it's up to you to bring forth a promise. That's what happened when his wife got her handmaiden. And that's when Ishmael was. And we're still dealing with that deal today. So I've given you the definition of hope. And I've told you how hope is destroyed. Turn to Romans chapter 15 verse 13. Romans 15 13. Can you put it on the screen? Romans 15 13. May the God of hope, stop right there. Who's the source of hope? Wow. If God is the source of hope, how many things hope's going to be all right? So how do you know? Read his biographical sketch. What's that? It's called the Old Testament. (laughs) Think about his power. Think about all the things he did. Just think about the children of Israel. Bunch of grumbling complainers. (laughs) And yet God provided for them. I mean, just think about the manna miracle. We're not talking about just a few folks. We're talking about over 2 million people. Somebody calculated to take 1,500 tons of manna a day just to keep them off starvation. You give them that much manna to eat, you got to give them water to drink. They needed about 11 million gallons of water a day. And God didn't do it for one day or five days or 10 days. He did it for 14,600 days. Add it together. 21,900,000 tons of manna, 160 billion gallons of water. My God can do all of that. Do you think you're going to walk into the throne room of heaven with your little teacup size need and run it dry? I don't think so. Come boldly into the throne of God. <laughs> May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing. That's faith. I don't want to deal with that. I, I'll move on. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit. So by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. You may abound in hope. <laughs> so the source of hope is God. The supply of hope is the Holy Spirit. The substance of hope is faith. The supply of hope is the Holy Spirit. The supply of hope. What do you need today? The Holy Spirit is the supplier. Amen. I said, what do you need? Get your hopes up. You say, well, I would never say what your mother said. I would never get that low. I understand that. I hope you never get that low. But I'm here to tell you, if your hope needle is not on full, you could use a dose of hope today. (laughs) Why don't you let God top off your tank? (laughs) Wouldn't you like to have been a fly on the wall when Sarah went to the doctor? She goes in there and she sits down in this room. All these young ladies in there glowing and giggling. And one of them says, Grandma, you're in the wrong room. We're having babies in here. They're giving out Geritol down the hall. 
<laughs> she said, oh, no, I'm in the right room. Well, how could you be in the right room? I'm having a baby. How are you going to do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> See, I don't know what all God's getting ready to do for Calvary, but I know the power of the Holy Spirit can make it happen. Hallelujah. See, pastor's been emphasizing. I could hear it through all the things being said that you can get involved. You can serve. You need to get engaged. Somebody said, well, I'm not qualified. I'm too old. I'm too young. I don't have an education. I I mean, all of those things are good excuses, but they're not valid. Because the Holy Spirit can help you be what you're not, do what you can't do, and say what you don't know. Come on. The Holy Spirit. We're going to touch this whole area for God. We're going to. How are we going to do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) He said, well, I'll just tell you, you don't know me. Boy, I'm not qualified. You look at that Bible, you think God didn't take some nobodies, make somebody's out of them? Moses stuttered, that's not a great leadership gift. Huh? Peter was afraid of death. Lazarus was dead. That'll hinder your ministry. (laughs) (laughs) I could take you through a lot of them. Elijah was burned out, hiding in a cave. Just after he got off of the mountain where he just slaughtered all the... Come on. Jeremiah, depressed and suicidal. Spent all his time looking for Dr. Phil trying to pop a little Prozac. <laughs> Wait a minute, that's not in the Bible. I just want to see if you were awake. <laughs> huh. Moses was a murderer. Paul was a murderer. Come on. God used all those people. He can use you. Don't you worry about it. <laughs> I've come to the conclusion that God can hit good licks with crooked sticks. (laughs) My mother walked into that hospital room about three or four days after she pointed her finger in my face and said, don't pray in my presence again. She said, son, she told me this later. She said, son, I was angry. I was bitter. I was hopeless. I didn't want anybody loving me. I didn't want anybody praying for me. I didn't deserve love. But she said, when I stepped inside that hospital room that day, something touched me. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. She said, not only did I sense this presence. See, if you don't understand this, that's okay. If you're watching me online, I'm just telling you, we believe God is so powerfully real that he has an essence about him. The Bible in the Old Testament called it Shekinah. They called it anointing, the anointing oil, the presence. She said, not only did I feel God's presence, I heard him speak to me. Not an audible voice, but that knowing in your knower. You know what I'm saying? And said, get ready, your husband's going to talk to you today. She goes, that can't happen. He's brain dead. He hasn't made a sound in four months. He can't. It's impossible. But suddenly the Holy Spirit is the supplier of hope. And that hope needle began to flutter. And she began to think it's a confident expectation of something good that's about to happen. She had been hopeless. And now she takes a chair and drags it over by the bed and sits down there anticipating something that she had previously thought was impossible 
And she said, I don't know how long I sat there, but the presence of God kept getting stronger. And every time I would express doubt, that voice would come back into my nose and says, get ready. He's going to talk to you. And she said, that was the thing that I was wishing for. But I had long since given up hope that I would ever be able to communicate with him again. But she said, I was looking straight into his eyes when his eyes cleared up and he looked straight at me. And she said, all of a sudden, his mouth began to move. And in a strong voice, she said, he looked at me and he said, you know what, honey? God still answers prayer. (laughs) God still answers prayer. She said he lay there and spoke in his prayer language for about 10 more minutes, lapsed him to an unconscious coma, and never made another sound until he passed later. You say, where's the miracle, Alton? I'll tell you where the miracle is. She said, nobody could have ministered to me. I wouldn't have received ministry from anybody. The only person that could minister to me was your father, and he was brain dead. But God let him preach one final sermon. <laughs> one final sermon anointed of God, and her hope tank went from E all the way to full. If God's done it once, he can do it again. Hallelujah. And all you need today is to reach up the Holy Spirit as a power of hope and get your hopes up amen hallelujah holy spirit you're welcome in this room touch us lord minister to us holy spirit with your eyes closed and i only do that that's not some ritual just to let you have your neighbor enjoy the confidentiality of their response. My first question is about your emotional need, your spiritual need. This is not about salvation. This is about Christians that Satan has drained the hope. You've lost your joy. You've lost that feeling of anticipation of something good. You're not looking forward to the future. You can't see the answers. Impossibility reigns. If you could use a dose of hope today with your family or your health or your finances or whatever, put your hand up right now. I want to pray for you. God bless you. That's great. Thank you for your courage. Hands going up all over this room. You can put them down. I uh, spent this whole sermon telling you it's not hopeless. That's not entirely correct. And I, I didn't mean to be deceitful. And I just dealt with emotional needs and just spiritual needs. But if you are not right with God spiritually and you do not have full confidence that every sin is been forgiven because you have repented and asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. See, see, that is a transaction of grace that God can forgive you and wipe your sins as far as the east is from the west and never remember them anymore. But you got to go first. What do you mean, Alton? I mean, you have to ask. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So what do you have to do? You have to expose yourself by being vulnerable and transparent enough to ask. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whether you're in this room or you're watching online, if you are not confident you're not assured that everything's straight between you and God. That if something happened and you had to face eternity in the next moment, that you'd be ready. If that's a doubt in your mind, and you would like to erase that doubt with God's love, God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's peace, lift your hand. Even now in this room, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. Online, yes. Yes. This is what you can do. Everybody stand, please. I know you could pray and I know you have prayer options. But I would like to lead you in a prayer. And I'm going to deal with both questions and the response because people responded to both questions. And I want you to pray with both. So if you are getting emotional strength, pray with the one who... It's needing emotional strength. If you're needing forgiveness of sin and assurance of salvation and a rededication of your experience, those that are praying with emotional needs, pray for that. So in other words, let's pray in faith, believing, out loud, not timidly, and I'm going to lead you. Is that okay? Because God's not bound by geography, whether you're standing there or here or online. Are you ready? Dear Jesus, I give you my life with all of its faults, all of its failures, and all of its unconfessed sin. Cleanse me now because I am repentant and I'm trusting in the name of Jesus that Jesus, you're my Savior and you're my Lord. I receive now the gift of salvation. Dear Lord, now that I know I'm ready for heaven, help me live on this earth with the pressures and the pain and the disappointments. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill me up with hope today. Let me sense your power your anointing, your joy, your peace, your hope. I receive it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give God the glory. Now here's something I want you to do. I'm going to have to slip out. I've got a plane to catch. American Airlines and I have an agreement. If I'm not there, they leave without me. And I've got to go tomorrow. We leave two other friends of mine, my director of operations and another pastor. We leave for South Africa tomorrow afternoon from Chicago. So I need to get there. We're going to be training 46 missionaries that are missionaries to Africa to do the Acts 2 in the churches in Africa. <laughs> Come on. So what your church experienced this weekend we're going to be taken to Africa. The general superintendent of Tanzania says, we have a strategic plan for the continent. We don't have a strategic plan for the church. 
And Acts 2 is going to be our strategic plan. So pray for us. And here's your homework. Pray, number one. Here's your next homework. Become a hope dispenser. You may not remember everything I said. There's a few scriptures. There's a few stories maybe. But you know if you've got hope, you can pass it on to somebody else. Sitting in a coffee shop. Working next to somebody in the job market. Wherever in school, you can be a hope dispenser. Let God use you to bring hope. God bless you, Pastor. Amen. Love you. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.